0: From Upstate Medical University, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. High blood pressure can pose risks during pregnancy, but today we're talking with an upstate obstetrician who specializes in maternal fetal medicine, and he's going to explain how a woman can safely and successfully deliver a healthy baby even if she has a history of high blood pressure. Dr. John Folk is a clinical associate professor in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. Thanks for talking with me today, Dr. Folk. Oh, it's my pleasure. So what is the advice for a woman who has high blood pressure and wants to become pregnant? What is she, What needs to be done before she conceives?
1: Well, a lot of the care of uh, medical issues, like you know, common uh, medical problems like hypertension, diabetes, asthma, autoimmune disorders, the whole spectrum of things that can go on uh, in a woman's health prior to making a decision to go ahead with pregnancy, in general nowadays, uh, most of these conditions, if they're recognized, well-treated, and well-controlled uh, prior to pregnancy, um, tend to go well uh, with with the pregnancy subsequently. So uh, um, our usual advice from the Perinatal Center is that uh, prior to becoming pregnant, if, if possible, um, a uh, a consultation with primary care or specialist care doctors to make sure that all the the aspects of the blood pressure are well controlled and that uh, um, even a consultation with us beforehand to make sure that we're selecting medications that we can continue to use during pregnancy is another important consideration.
0: Because some of the uh, things that you mentioned, asthma and uh, immune diseases, things like that um, require medications. I mean, people may be taking medications for those. So, are those necessarily safe during pregnancy?
1: Well, there there are, for the most part, most medications are safe. And the advice that I generally give uh, to my patients that are considering pregnancy is to, uh, uh, you know, not make any, any jump decisions about what to do with medications. Uh, there are certain medications that do bring up particular concerns. Like, for example, uh, in, in, in the management of hypertension, uh, a very effective class of medications that are commonly used in the non-pregnant population would be angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitors or ACE inhibitors or what are called ARBs, um, and receptor blocker agents. These okay. are all very good medications. However, they are uh, they are contraindicated for use during pregnancy because they can precipitate some uh, problems for the developing baby. So uh, where the preconceptual consultation would come in or in management prior to pregnancy is is that we can look at the medications, look at all the other background issues that may be going on along with high blood pressure like um, kidney problems, protein in the urine, blood in the urine, you know, any history of vascular disease, this kind of thing. Um, can be taken into account, and then what we can do is then convert over to a medication we can use in pregnancy um, and make sure that the patient is stable and responds well to the medication, doesn't have unusual side effects, this kind of thing.
0: Well, let me ask you, what is it that high blood pressure, what it, why is it so dangerous for, and is it dangerous for the mother or for the baby or both?
1: Well, it's dangerous for both. Um, Essentially, the, uh, the problems that, that moms can experience with uh, uh, blood pressure that's not well controlled during the pregnancy is that um, she would be considered at an increased risk for what's called preeclampsia or hypertensive disorders related to pregnancy. Um, preeclampsia is a condition that can, you know, in the general population, it usually affects something like uh, um, 5 to 10% of women, so most women don't develop this. However, someone who has underlying um, hypertension, particularly hypertension that may be associated with other um, issues like kidney disease, uh, that that risk can go up anywhere from three to tenfold, so it can become very important. But preeclampsia is, is something that only happens to women when they're pregnant, it never happens to men. It never happens to women when they're not pregnant. But what happens is is the placenta, now being part of the regulatory mechanism of the maternal circulation or, or, or you know, control of the, the heart and blood pressure and this kind of thing, um, can exert an influence that actually can make blood pressures worse. It can actually put strain on important organs like the kidneys, increasing um, protein loss through the urine. It can reduce the kidney's ability to filter uh, the important things the kidneys do filter. It can put stress on the liver. It can put stress on the mom's brain. It can do all kinds of things that could lead to uh, um, life-threatening or even life-ending complications if it is not well controlled, like strokes, like liver rupture, liver failure, kidney failure, uh, these kinds of things.
0: Wow! So the um, whole the, every your, the whole, your life's a, at a risk, basically. Things, yes. Okay. And then,
1: from the point of view of the baby, um, we the way we understand preeclampsia now, it's we don't have a a huge complete understanding of what triggers the problem. We just know you have to be pregnant, and we know it has to be there has to be placenta involved with all those hormonal actions that go on with uh, regulating mom's uh, physiology during pregnancy. So a Pregnancy that is likely to develop preeclampsia is one where the placenta developed in a situation where um, the robust connection that occurs between the mom's circulation and the placenta for the baby's circulation is just not as robust as it should be. Um, the blood flow is harder for the baby, oxygen and nutrition is harder for the baby to get, waste products is harder for the baby to are harder for the baby to get rid of. So what ends up happening is is that stressed placenta. Has ways of releasing um, signals from the placental circulation to mom's circulation that actually tries to compensate for that lack of blood flow to the placenta by increasing mom's blood pressure. And like anything else, you can have a, a, a regulatory response that is helpful for a while, but after a while, it becomes maladaptive because it's over-regulating. And so then the you know the the stress on the placenta with these increased blood pressure and all those other things I was talking about with preeclampsia actually can cause trouble for the baby, too. Some of the things that we can see would be um, early labor, early delivery, and early separation of the placenta prior to birth. We call that a placental abruption. It's more common. Um, Stillbirth is more common, unfortunately. Babies that are growing smaller than we expect, a condition we call intrauterine growth restriction, is more common. Um, So, needing to deliver by cesarean as opposed to having a natural birth closer to the due date is more common. So really, it is a condition that sounds horrible the way I just described it, but with good, careful monitoring management Uh, you know, prior to pregnancy and then through the first, second, and third trimesters, we have had a a really good incidence of having successful pregnancies. And successful pregnancy would be where mom and baby get to close to or even at term and deliver with minimal, if any, complications. So that is certainly possible with good prenatal care.
0: So this is a a high-risk pregnancy, though? Yes. Okay, just by definition, no matter how, mm-hmm. how well things are going, it's still considered a high risk. It is. for, Well, okay. um, go ahead.
1: Oh, and I'd also like to say, you know, I, I personally don't like to think of high risk as yes or no. I mean, in my mind, I kind of think of it as a scale of 1 to 10, where I think of 1 as the the, the risk that any healthy woman with no background and any medical issues would have for having a, a, a nice normal term delivery. Um, It's not zero because even even perfectly healthy, perfectly normal people, there is a small chance that there might be issues, including preeclampsia later on. But, you know, 10 being the most horrendous risk. So depending on what else is going on, I mean, if someone has a, a bit of hypertension, they control it with diet, exercise, and maybe a low dose of a blood pressure medicine, that woman is going to have a much a much better chance of a really good outcome compared to somebody who, say, is on two or three blood pressure medicines, has already had a heart attack, already has weakened heart muscle because of hypertension, may already have kidney disease. We have taken care of patients like that, too. But as you can tell, it's, it, the difference between what the patient comes with and how well controlled it is really does say a lot for how things tend to go with pregnancy.
0: Um a woman with high blood pressure does that generally mean more medical appointments during the during the pregnancy and does it necessarily mean bed rest?
1: Um it 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 might if the, if that preeclampsia condition superimposes on the chronic hypertension then uh bed rest and hospitalization early delivery these kinds of things are more likely. Okay. But um if we start off with someone who is relatively healthy with just blood pressure problems um, they tend to, those patients tend to have pregnancies that are very much like anybody else's. Um, and the way prenatal care is set up, um you know, the traditional prenatal care was kind of developed by the visiting nurses uh, services in Boston in the 1800s, where basically they knew that the thing that was, you know, they were most worried about as women in the general population approached their due date was toxemia, or what Mm -hmm. we call preeclampsia now. And so, you know, visits once a month in the first part of pregnancy a couple of times a month, second to third part of pregnancy, and then towards the end it's every week. So that's standard prenatal care, and that all came out of the tradition of watching for symptoms and signs of preeclampsia developing. And so with a patient with high blood pressure, that would just be someone we would want to make real sure was uh, following that kind of frequent monitoring, particularly in the third trimester as we're getting closer to the due date. We also might add in other things. We might do sonograms to evaluate how well the baby's growing at key points, like at 28 weeks or 32 weeks or 36 weeks, just to make sure the growth is going well. We check the amniotic fluid levels. We may also prescribe... um, Fetal testing—you know where patients are, you know, hooked up to fetal monitors and watch how the baby's heart rate and watch how the contractions go. And there's like a paper strip that comes out. I think a lot of OB patients are familiar with this. But uh, instead of waiting until close to the due date to start that, we may start it earlier for a patient with a situation like that. All
0: right. Well, I've got some more questions, but let me remind, remind listeners this is Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm your host Amber Smith, talking with Dr. John Folk, a professor in the Division of Maternal and Fetal medicine in upstate's department of obstetrics and gynecology and we're talking about high blood pressure in pregnancy now from what i understand a lot of people who have high blood pressure don't know they have it so is it common for a woman to find out she's pregnant come to the doctor for her first you know a prenatal examination and then learn that she's got a, pr- a problem with blood pressure
1: that certainly does happen um Ideally, obviously, uh, you know, even as a specialist, I'm a very strong proponent for folks to uh, women, particularly reproductive age women, women who are considering having babies, to have good primary care, and screening for blood pressure and screening for other things are, is a very important part of that. So that that's one good thing, is that if, if a woman is considering pregnancy um, and does not no, you know, hasn't had a blood pressure checked in a while or hasn't had a urine checked for protein or for sugar or been screened for diabetes or any of the other common conditions, um, I, I would strongly advocate for that. Um, but, you know, sometimes women will present and pregnancy is a time where they see um, care providers in an intensified kind of way. I mean, you see your, your primary care doctor maybe once a year, twice a year, uh, an obstetrical patient is seen. Every few weeks, even in the beginning of a pregnancy, it's still pretty frequent. So we do, at times, pick up um, underlying medical conditions, and hypertension is one of them. One of the things that helps us with this is that the physiologic changes of pregnancy that would reduce blood pressures and kind of mask a hypertension Mm -hmm. doesn't really kick in until a patient is about... 14, 16 weeks along in the pregnancy. So if we get some visits in that first trimester, if the blood pressures show evidence that a woman has underlying hypertension, we can look at that, we can call it that, and we can start monitoring, looking, you know, doing an evaluation and you know, for other issues related to kidney function, urine testing, you know, liver function, platelet counts, blood counts, all the other things that go along with with, you know, side effects of hypertension. But then we also, you know, can start management, treatment if needed, and, uh, and, and and helping the patient to understand what kinds of things that we're going to be watching for and what signs and symptoms of preeclampsia later on we might have to worry about. So even if a woman comes in, hasn't had primary care for a couple of three years, usually not since her last child was born, um, we certainly have some room in that first trimester to catch up.
0: Okay. Um let me ask you this. Are there other related health conditions that a woman who has high blood pressure might also have that that sort of go together that you you need to be well, aware of? Well,
1: I mean some of the some of the conditions that are Naturally uh, associated with uh, um, hypertension would be underlying autoimmune conditions that are a bit more common among female patients compared to male patients. The uh, like systemic lupus erythematosus would be the you know common one, or SLE, lupus, as it's commonly called, might be might be going on there, and that usually has other symptoms and signs that are going on, you know, like fatigue and rash, and achy joints. And, sores in the mouth and dry eyes and these other kinds of things. Or it might be something that's kind of asymptomatic and we may pick up. That's unusual, though. Um, okay. Commonly, hypertension is a, is a condition that's associated with, with increasing age. And so with increasing age comes other things like increasing weight, body mass index, and diabetes and that kind of thing. So it's not terribly unusual for um, low hypothyroidism, Diabetes mellitus and hypertension to kind of run together. And so we kind of evaluate for that if we have a patient that seems to be showing evidence of one condition to make sure we don't have the others.
0: Oh, good. That's good information. But basically, it is reasonable for a woman who has high blood pressure to expect that she could have a healthy baby.
1: Yes, it is. Wonderful. In fact, I would say that, you know, we could could say for all patients that come in with chronic hypertension that about 85 to 90 percent of them are able
0: to deliver. Oh, that's great news. Uh, Dr. Folk, you're the clerkship director for the medical students in their third year of training. Um, I wanted to ask you if there are things that you're teaching tomorrow's doctors today that weren't really big issues when you were in training. Is Uh, there anything like new in OBGYN?
1: Well, there's a lot of things that we've got going on. I mean, uh, basically, as far as the the blood pressure kinds of things and and medical conditions, Mm -hmm. I mean, when I was a student, which was... Let's see, my diploma, 1990. That's a while ago. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, women were usually younger when they made the decision to go ahead with uh, having pregnancies. And so there was less of a background incidence of these kinds of chronic medical conditions that pop up wow. as as a woman ages. Now that, uh, you know, reproduction for a lot of women is being, are being delayed for personal, professional reasons, that kind of a thing, we are seeing more of it. So one of the things I do teach is... Um, um is being mindful of of the kinds of uh, primary care issues that will make an impact on a pregnancy um, including hypertension um, other things that I think is we do better nowadays is I think we have a better understanding of the physiology of what's going on in the interaction between the placenta and the mom's um, body regulation about how complex and uh, um, intermingled, interdependent those uh, systems are and what we are doing as far as being able to develop uh, ways for screening patients at risk um, and ways for reducing the incidence of preeclampsia in a next pregnancy. For example, we're finding out that low-dose aspirin uh, in the next pregnancy of a woman who experienced preeclampsia for a first pregnancy does help to reduce the incidence and severity of preeclampsia in the next pregnancy.
0: Wow. So, well, interesting. My guest has been clinical associate professor in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology, Dr. John Folk. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show HealthLink on Air.